Am I saying that right? Palliative care. Palliative. Okay. Palliative care. This is why you're the doctor and I just need to not speak this whole episode. Welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. Today is a very special day because today I have Dr. Beth Delaney with me. And I have to be totally honest with you, Dr. Beth. Like, I think when I was a little girl, because I've known you for years. Yes. And I think when I was a little girl, I thought that you were famous because (laughs) I had heard your and Pastor Greg's name so much and I didn't really know you guys but I had heard your name so much and I had seen you around and I remember one time we were I think it was hog wild do you remember when we used to do I do I do I do we were at that event and I saw you (laughs) and I was like there she is like you were just this hero just like this mm. famous person and you knew my dad you were good you I and did. pastor greg were good friends yeah. with my dad so honestly it just feels like um it's such an honor to have you on today's mm. episode and over the years i've known that you are just a hero in the mm. medical field you're a hero in the faith and so it's truly an honor to have you on today's episode so thank you for agreeing to be on today. Celeste, I didn't know any of that. So thank you for letting me be here. I just, as we've talked before, um, I just, I don't have that perception of myself at all as more of a just girl from Xenia and that God has done more than I could have ever asked or imagined in my mm-hmm. life and really honestly just in awe of what has happened and I just I don't even know what to say I'm overwhelmed thank you so much for letting me of be here of course I want to read what I have here to intro you because <laughs> I don't want to leave anything oh, no, out I'm certain that you don't need to do that I want to read it the people need to know um if you need to hide under the table for this you can okay Okay, so i am getting under the table right now (laughs) and now she's crawling under the table okay dr beth delaney is a doctor of nursing practice who has been caring for people in the areas of cancer cancer survivorship and palliative am i saying that right palliative care palliative okay Palliative care. This is why you're the doctor, and I just need to not speak this whole episode. (laughs) Palliative care for the past 30 years. Uh, Since 2019, she was honored as the Miami Valley Hospital Foundation's Champion of Hope. That's incredible. In the Dayton Business Journal's Healthcare Hero, both in the medical healthcare provider category. Recently, she was... She was induced into the Hall of Honor at Xenia High School in her beloved hometown in Ohio. Currently, she serves as the Chief Nursing Officer and Vice President of Wellness Programs for Four Cancer and is a nurse practitioner at Dayton Physicians Network. She loves to partner with her husband and high school sweetheart, which I didn't know that before I read that. That is so sweet. Totally true. Pastor Greg Delaney and serving individuals and communities to serve those with substance use disorder through education, communication, and innovation. They are the parents of three children whom they love deeply, Hillary, Samantha, and Ian, as well as their two son-in-laws, Cameron and 
Alex. Awesome. Thank you. So, so awesome. So you didn't say, you know, Sammy. I do know Sam. I I know. I do know Sam. She's so sweet. We kind of grew up Mm -hmm. together um, and we went to youth together. I think she's a little bit younger than me, Yeah. but yeah, she's awesome. She's so beautiful. Thank you. So, so gorgeous. All your kids. So, so beautiful. Um, but I, I have a couple questions that I want to ask you. Let's do it. While you're on today's episode, while I have you for the time that I do. Um, and the first question is, what has been the most impactful moment of your career? Or do you even have one? Uh, I, there are so many, only because, um, you know, you gave me the questions before to ponder and think about, because mm-hmm. that's the right way to be prepared. <laughs> You said that. And when I said, I'm like, uh, I think more about what the work that I never anticipated to do. So for all those folks out there, like I didn't have a family who went to college, so that didn't even really enter into what was I going to do? How was I going to do it? So mm-hmm. when I um, end up being a nurse and then end up um, working with people who have a cancer history and a cancer background, then get the opportunity to work on an interdisciplinary team, working with people who have a life-limiting illness and terminal illness for really most of my career. And for about 10 to 15 years at a trauma center, you just see so much. Yeah. And so when I think about the moment. It's not really the moment. It's more that God allowed me to be in that space where literally I've watched, and this is just because it's true, thousands of people take their last breath. Wow. And in hopes that we've provided comfort and care and love so that that can be as tolerable as possible. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. And how many years have you been practicing? Over 30, 30. Over 30. Over 30. Amazing. Uh, you definitely don't look old enough ah, to be thank you for practicing for over 30. Um, what are some ways that you've seen faith and science collide in the medical field? So collide, that's a great word because collide can be negative, collide can be positive, collide when I think with my science brain is an expansion of something. Yeah. So, um, when I think of collide in today's world, I think about people trying to either choose science or faith, and that's just absolutely not what I've experienced at all. What I've experienced is that science reinforces our creator, and the creator reinforces science. That's amazing. And that the more that I learned, honestly, the more that I've learned, to be honest, (laughs) to be honest, somebody said that, (laughs) Uh, to be honest, the more that I learned academically, the more that I realized I know a little tiny bit about a little tiny bit and the intricacies of the human body, oh my goodness, are amazing and incredible. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of, I mean, like when you see all of the detail, you're like, oh my gosh, God thought of everything. Yeah. And that's just been incredible. So, and then from the sad side, that picking back and forth, Mm -hmm. it just hasn't, I have not observed it to serve anyone well. Yeah, to choose one or the other. And like exclusive and yeah. be 
hurtful and yeah, it just doesn't seem good from yeah. my perspective. And your husband, Pastor Greg, mm-hmm. he deals with this a lot, the science side correct, plus the spiritual side. Yep. And I meant to mention this at the beginning of the episode, but Pastor Greg Delaney has helped family members of mine recover from addiction and they're just doing, they're doing incredible now. So we feel forever indebted to him. Um, but I'm sure this is something that he experiences all the time and sees all the time because it's like you can't have one without the other, especially when you're dealing with addiction and right. substance abuse. You have to have both together. And with him being in recovery himself from alcoholism, it's been a journey. And um, so, yeah. One thing that I wanted to talk about, because I feel like this is such a hot topic mm-hmm. in the Christian world. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to people who listen to my podcast who are atheists, who mm-hmm. um, live in other countries and have different religions. So this question may not be relevant for everyone listening, but I think it will be helpful for everyone to know. But a question that I have written down is, as a doctor and a Christian, what is your professional opinion on a Christian exploring the possibility of medication to help them with mental health struggles, such as anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder, etc.? Because oftentimes I think what we see in the Christian realm is you are accused of not having enough faith if you feel the need to explore the possibility of medication and somebody who has maybe broken their leg and needs a surgery or needs medication to help them would never be accused of not having enough faith. Hey, isn't God enough for you? You know, don't get this surgery. Isn't God enough for you? Don't take that medication. But when it comes to mental health, which is a similar concept, um, and the disease that mental health can be, it almost feels like this taboo, like, well, isn't God enough? Why would you do that? You're, you don't have enough faith. Or if you struggle with mental health, you're demonic or you're demon-possessed. Um, so what's your professional opinion on that as having both, okay, I believe in science and I believe in God. And how do those two meet when it comes to maybe someone exploring the need for something beyond counseling, the mm-hmm. need beyond just talking about it, but Mm -hmm. maybe medication. Yeah. That's a great question, Celeste. And that's the one that I was hoping that we would spend time on. So what I can tell you is what I've read and what I've observed. And so that's kind of the place that I will go to historically, professionally, and then what happened a couple of years ago to change my thinking. Okay. So um, as a person who's worked with people who have a history of cancer for many, many years. What I learned early as a registered nurse and what I loved about being a nurse and then an oncology nurse is that if you tend to things in the physical body well as a nurse, making sure that they get their pain medicine, making sure that they are educated about what their side effects are from their treatment or whatever, that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And so right medicines for the physical symptoms, right medicines to take care of the cancer, important. Just like right medicines for diabetes, just like right medicines for or anything that we really like your broken leg and pain medicine for that. And that's another whole topic we're not right. going to talk about today. <laughs> but also in caring for people who have a history of cancer, um, 
not only the physical body became quite apparent to me at an early age that was really important, is that a person's mental outlook and how are they feeling about what's happening to them and how are they responding to what's happening to them and what are the differences between people who are really, really sad and what are the people who seem to have more healthy coping mechanisms. So that was a curiosity that I had. Mm -hmm. And then... At the bedside, time after time, I would see people of some kind of faith versus people who did not have a faith. And how that integration or that piece of their life changed Mm -hmm. that dynamic. So the idea of a body-mind-spirit approach was always something that I learned early in my registered nurse career could be beneficial to a person. Well, then as we went through and traveled through Greg's journey of with alcoholism and all of that kind of um, what our journey there, I started to also learn again about, gosh, people have more parts than just one that typically need to be tended to mm-hmm. in order for them to have the healthiest lifestyle. Then about three summers ago, as what happened is Greg... You said, and we're so grateful that, again, what the Lord has done in his life Mm -hmm. and allowed him to be working in communities, people would start to ask, as a person myself, whose father had alcoholism, struggled with substance use disorder, ended up committing suicide, my husband, I um, have had other family members that really have struggled, this whole idea of therapy and groups, and so I spent a lot of time there just kind of learning and figuring those things out. And when groups started asking for Greg and I to come together, they would say, what do you think about as a doctor? And what is the science behind? And that's when I started to take a deeper dive into all of this. And what I realized and what I learned, um, for those out there interested, Dr. Caroline Leaf Mm -hmm. um, has done a lot of work on um, the concept of neuroplasticity. And... I first kind of got introduced to her information, and I thought, oh, that's very interesting to think about. As a nurse who's worked with people who have been so sick for so long, things like near-death experience, things like that, those are all things that I love to read. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So reading, listening, those are things that are just I love to do. So done a lot of research on that. But this summer, three years ago, when we were starting to get asked more, God turned me to the scripture He said, I want you to look at what Jesus said. And even for people who are not of a Christian faith, in our faith, clearly there are times where we hear about love the Lord with all your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, or your spirit, or whatever your translation is. All of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went out in my life. I went, oh my goodness, straight from the mouth. (laughs) It, to me, said there's three parts to a person. I mean, like, that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what was resonating in my life. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, let's learn more. And what I learned was, I don't know that people realize, and this is what we've started to learn and dig deeper on, is that when people have thoughts or emotions, they have physical changes in their brain. 
parts of their prefrontal cortex, parts of their brain, in the front of their brain, in the middle of their brain, deep in their brain, are actually physically changed, most of the time by hormonal structures related to outside experiences. Mm. So when you think about anxiety, depression, outside experiences can cause hormonal changes that can physically change a person's body. Mm-hmm. So for me, that I'm was saying, like, mm-hmm, like I know everything that you're saying, and I'm just, I'm just learning. <laughs> so I love saying, you. Mm-hmm, is not like right. Yeah, I know that. It's me just literally sitting here looking at you learning this. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. I know, right? So <laughs> then that takes me to as a doctor, a nurse practitioner, to say all that stuff that I learned early in my career then. Brings me to then when I'm working with someone, I want to know what's going on with them physically. I want to know what's going on with them mentally. I want to know what's going on with them spiritually. Because all three of those things together seemingly, in my observation, have created a a place where people can be healthier, can be whole. And actually, if you look at the research, live longer, have a better quality of life, have less anxiety and less depression. Mm. So... All of that to say that what I've learned in that sphere, when people start to understand that there are physical implications related to mental and spiritual health, what I hope is they will have a yearning to learn more. Mm-hmm. So increasing your knowledge, because one of the biggest problems is we have stigma a lot of stigma about a lot of things. And so a lot of times Greg and I are talking about the stigma around anxiety and depression. And I believe that people are isolated and that's just so paralyzing for people. And so really as a a nurse, as a nurse practitioner, looking at all spheres of a person and figuring out how I can help them in each sphere And maybe that is medicine because maybe they need a little bit of medicine to just be able to even function Mm -hmm. so that then they can hear how to treat their trauma or how to treat then even be open to hearing anything spiritual from any point of faith. Does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah, that does make sense. It's like they maybe have the need to to take medication or to have medication just to be in a place right, where they can even understand what's going on with them. Absolutely. And be in a place that, I mean, we've have a, understandably in this world, there's so much hurt and people are experiencing so much sadness. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And all of that, turns into physical it can turn into physical implications in a body and so it's just heartbreaking so how could we when you for me look at all the times where love was a really good approach Mm -hmm. not use that again and not use every opportunity to help a person yeah yeah that's amazing well thanks well there's a whole bunch more that could be amazing but i'm sure Um, Another question that I had for you is, can you give some insight on how, and I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but on how trauma affects the brain Mm -hmm. and even just developmentally and mental health, asking for a friend. So that's kind of what I was saying earlier. There's, I was actually 
thinking about this question, I actually looked up some. Um, there's you can actually YouTube, and I got to be careful because in the internet there's lots of, you know, all kinds of information out there. But most of the time, if you can go to credible national organizations um, that are specialists in the area of which you're interested, um, they can. There's video on that shows the changes. And so I guess I just want to reiterate that it's about, I believe that God designed our bodies. So something as simple as like a flight or fight or flight mechanism when you're threatened can be helpful. Like you Mm -hmm. see danger, run away, get away, flee, flee, get out of here. Right. However, if that, whatever's causing that, lives in your house or is repeated exposure, what happens is your body then lives in the space where it's stressed all the time. And those hormones in your body can cause changes. And so that's really, really um, an important thing to recognize. And the other thing that I think Greg and I come across often is, well, yeah, especially when it comes to substance use disorder, anxiety, depression, well, Here's the bottom line I could say in my experience. No matter what it is, whatever the human response is, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, many times there's a deep pain from something. Right. And it's a reaction to the deep pain from something that that reaction is what's happening. And when it comes to things like substance use disorder, anxiety, depression, it's, it could be a combination of things, trauma, traumatic experiences, whether they are from events, you know, weather events to terrible tragedies to military experiences to sexual abuse. Those are horrible. Mm. And the body has to try to protect itself from the deep sadness and pain that it's experiencing and therefore tries to cope. So when I think about things like anxiety, depression, why do people do what they do? It's all about coping Mm -hmm. and being on planet Earth and how you're going to survive what's going on in planet Earth. And so what we try to do, I think, in the world of healthcare, is point people toward those holistic, healthy coping mechanisms versus other coping mechanisms that are more harmful. Sure. Like, hey, let's just, before we even explore that, let's just throw medication at it. And you know what I mean? And then it's like they're not necessarily getting an opportunity to explore that deep hurt, but they're actually going back to just coping just in a different way. And whether that's anything from alcohol to shopping to porn to, I mean, like Greg and I have had people that, I mean, worked with families sniffing embalming fluid to, I mean, like you name it, people do a lot of different things to cope with pain. And so how can we help and come alongside them to figure out what might work? But really, and in, in the instance of the medication, another thing that I always try, particularly in my clinic, to do if I get to a person who comes in, they're on a medication for whatever, any of those things that you talked about. I always ask, you know, like, have you talked through or try to figure out why? And a lot of times, sometimes providers will just do that, what you just said, put people on. But I would say, 
okay, if we use the medicine, let's try to figure out how we can get you as healthy as we can. And let's try to figure out the source of the pain so that we can actually help you feel better. Yeah, and face it. Uh, and 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 whatever it is, it might mm-hmm. not be face it, or it may be it might be face it, or it might be no. I really have this terrible physical thing, and nobody's been able to help me, and I got to figure that out. Or back to something that breaks my heart: church hurt, mm-hmm. people being unkind to people. Yeah, that just that's another another whole topic we could talk about, but it's heartbreaking. So, just about the core of pain, and. When we talk, uh, the last thing I want to say about substance use disorder is um, people I have heard say, particularly people of faith, well, it's their own fault. They made that choice to do that. Mm -hmm. And I would just ask people to reflect on that for a moment because it doesn't take many exposures of the physical body to be exposed to some kind of substance where it becomes physically attached to the substance some would them the word dependent or whatever but it doesn't take many exposures and based upon your genetics your risk factor your availability all of those things might be more or less in any individual but i would wonder if people would feel like they're making a conscious choice if they are a young teenager at a party being exposed and that they're making a conscious choice thinking that their couple exposures might indeed lead down a trail that could be not healthy. Is that really their choice? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And then there are other times when um, people with mental health, you know, issues, bad traumas. We have people that we work with in our ministry that parents were using heroin, crack cocaine, and the way that they got their toddler to shut up was... They injected them or they made them suck on something. And wow. so I'm not sure that was their choice. Right. So all I would say is just try to love people. Try to reduce your language of why are you doing that? Because that just will not work, especially yeah. when they've had their brain changed to tell me more about what happened. Yeah. Tell me more about the journey you've been on. Yeah. Does that help? Yes. That's awesome. So you, you also kind of touched on this, and if, if you feel like you've answered it enough, we can just move on to the next one. But what do you believe should be the church's approach mm. to help someone who struggles with their mental health? So one of the things that we're trying to help congregations, faith communities understand is just get more knowledge. Because a lot of times there are a lot of well-meaning people out there trying to do the best that they can. And they don't, you know, a lot of us don't know we don't know. Mm -hmm. So one thing that faith communities can do is get educated about, there's concepts called mental health first aid. And that's what's your lane and when are you out of your lane and when do you need to raise your hand and say, I need help. Yeah, There are things like um, understanding how to support families with substance use disorder. There are things about um, things as simple as Narcan use and distribution. All of those things. There are emerging education opportunities for people of faith to get educated about this. And oftentimes, way more than not, once people have a greater understanding, they have greater empathy, they can also look at themselves and figure out, oh gosh, 
what do we know? Yeah. We all are here trying to figure out the best way on planet Earth to figure it out. And for me, I'm so glad that God's around and he's a place that I can get help from. Right. And so I think getting educated, having an open mind, and for those who, you know, there are a lot, no matter which faith that you're in, loving others, loving your neighbor, loving God, it's not, it's always a, it's seemingly helpful approach. Yeah. That, I think that's so key is to not assume oh. as a church leader that you know everything, you know, that you have the answer to everything just because you understand this part of the Bible or understand that part of the Bible. I mean, that's always been a red flag for me when there's one person who feels like they have the answer to mm-hmm. everything. So I love that response, just continuing to seek education and learn more. That's awesome. And in the same way, a lot of times when, especially when Greg and I have been in deeply science-filled audiences of understanding the important role that faith and a healthy faith community can provide. Mm -hmm. Deep love and encouragement. And I'll tell you, some audiences have never had exposure to that especially in a healthy way. And then when they see it, they're like, oh, that seems really good. Mm -hmm. And so what I would, my observation is everybody has something good to offer. If we can do something, which I learned in therapy, in family therapy, when we were sitting in by my friend, Dr. Kevin Hoffman. And I absolutely love this idea because it's really been useful. And that is the concept of mutual understanding. Are you engaging in a conversation where you're seeking to find a mutual understanding? And that takes a lot of purposeful intent during your conversation because most of the time, let's be honest, when a person's talking to you, what are you thinking about? Oh, that was wrong. Oh, I'm going to say that. Oh, oh. And instead of being transparent and open and really engaging yeah. in listening to what they say. As plus I've seen you do that with kids. You literally, truly are present and listening and just being there with them or that person versus, I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a win-lose in the conversation versus let's have an interaction where... We both understand where each other are coming from and why each other might be thinking what they are. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think people, I'm pretty sure I've said that's awesome to everything you've said because I feel like I have no response because I'm just sitting here learning from you right now. Well, it's all gone. But um, I think that that makes people feel heard when you do that. And it when people feel heard, they feel seen. And when people feel seen, they feel valued. And so that's an incredible approach. I love that. I uh, just, I told you earlier that I love resources and I just got, I'm reading a book called How Not to Save the World by Hosanna Wong. Yes, I have that book. And she says exactly what you just said. And so um, shout out to her. I've been enjoying a book and it's one of those books where I read a few pages and then think about it and um reinforcing that hopefully we can do things to love people well yeah so i feel like we've been talking for five minutes but it is too long (laughs) it's 
it's getting close to the end of our time together. All right. Um, I had one last question sure. for you, and that is, what would you say to a pastor or a leader who is struggling with their mm. mental health but feels like they can't discuss it with anyone or feels the need to hide it? Because I remember this was something that I even faced a couple of years ago when I was really struggling mm-hmm. and really just not knowing what was appropriate, right. um, who to have the conversation with, or even just questioning, like, is it okay for me to feel this way? Is it okay for me to... Because I, for me, I feel like I did not even fully... Well, you know, my dad passed when I was 17, and then we had some traumatic experiences leading up to that. Right. And you can't process that when you are 17 fully. And so I feel like I did not fully begin to process things until my early 20s. Right. And when I actually began to process them, because I wanted to seek wholeness and I wanted to seek wellness for myself, it was like opening this giant wound. And I just, I mean, this sounds kind of gory, but I kind of just felt like I was bleeding everywhere all the time. Mm. Like I just didn't, I had opened up something that I had no idea that diving into the healing process, I had no idea that that's how it was going to be. Um, and it caused for a lot of issues for me to try to pursue, um, pursue that wholeness. And so thankfully I am in such like, thank God I'm in such a better place now and have been able to receive a lot of healing that I need, that I needed at the time. Um, but what would you say to a pastor or even just a leader who feels like, who do I turn to, um, or feels like they can't talk about that because of their position? And again, I'm thinking about being sensitive to all listeners, but when I think about, um, from a Christian faith perspective, one of the examples that jumps out at me, first of all, is reminding people again, here we all are trying to figure out how to cope with planet Earth every single day, every hour. So that's not, I don't care what your role is. That's what that's what we're all here for. Mm. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before he's going to be crucified, what is he doing? He is crying out to God. So I just say that to say that it's all right to cry out. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus does that, then why? And what is happening in a person's mind if they feel like they can't work through, share, figure that out. Now, what does that mean? Of course, of course we're going to go to whatever your faith tradition says. Work through that. But find a trusted mentor, maybe in another city, maybe in another, but keeping it in and not learning and not getting help doesn't seem to be a good path Mm -hmm. and can lead to really dark, dark places. Yeah. And so don't, I hope that you won't do that because help is there. Yeah. There is help available. And don't feel like there's no one that can walk this road alone. There's no one that is like perfect. There's no one. Do you know anybody, Celeste? Nope. So I feel like a lot of times that could be the lie that we tell ourselves, And one of the things that I I just thought of it now when you said that is a lot of I think times people believe that whatever's coming into their head 
they're a slave to. And that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Funny, this morning, David Jeremiah, Dr. David Jeremiah, I like how he, his style of teaching, but he talked about how that your brain and your head could be like a helicopter or an airport, that you can have things land, but they can take off again or mm-hmm. they can stay. And so trying to, when I think about those pastors, like I can't even imagine how difficult that is to keep worrying through in your mind yeah. and trying to break that with some truth. And for me, um, I actually literally used Joyce Meyer's little purple book mm-hmm. and that little purple book. And for me, is very healing to bring the anxiety, depression, discouragement scriptures out and actually say them. Yeah. And it calms me. Yeah. Like with a peace that surpasses understanding. Right. So I feel sad for those people, but I feel like whatever tra- faith tradition they're in, please use it. Use your resources. Talk with your primary care person. Let them know what you're going through. We're all bound to a lot of confidentiality standards. That might be another place, but maybe, maybe there's some unrealistic expectations or thoughts that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. And that might be helpful. Yeah. What do you think? Yes. Yes. I love that. And I hope. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, it's okay. Hopefully, yes. it's helpful. Yes, that is so helpful. Well, thank you so much. Oh, girl, for being it is on an today. Honor. It's it an, an honor, honor to have you on. It I is an honor to be here. The way that I asked you to be on this episode, I when I texted you, I feel like I said. If you don't want to, it's okay. Or, you know what? Just forget it. But think about it. I was so just an idiot. And I'm like, oh my goodness. The fact that the wonderful, beautiful Celeste would even invite me. I felt really happy to to serve and honor. So thank you. Thank you. And all those listeners out there, thank you for listening. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on. And um, I believe this episode is going to be helpful for so many so and so and we can't close without saying you know definitely if you're having any struggles with mental health issues there are hotlines all over everywhere in the united states mm-hmm. if you just text or click put hotline at mental health hotline talk with your provider if you don't have a provider you can look up and find a provider but help is available so, um, you know what we should do before we end this? We need to yes. find, like, the national hotline. And we I need have to the on. National Suicide okay, um, yeah. Prevention Hotline. So that is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. That is the National Suicide Prevention and Hotline. people want to help. Their healthcare providers typically really, really want to help. So reach out to us so that we can help figure out a way to help you feel better. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, right, girl. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.